Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Galactica Actually. I am ADL Jackson and my co-host is Jamie Smith. How are you doing this week, Jamie? It has been a long week and I'm tired, so I'm going to do my best today. (laughs) (laughs) Rumor has it you were asleep a little bit ago. I, I, I started to fall asleep <laughs> about four minutes before we needed to record. I was like, wait, what time is it? <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Um, so yeah, so this week we're doing, uh, the episode is The Captain's Hand. And um, it's an interesting episode because, um, for multiple reasons, but the first, like at the top, I don't know, should I, I don't know if I should bear the lead, but. At the top, I guess, is that this is, and I, and I personally have brought this up because this this whole topic fascinates me, um, and it's part of why I like the like the approach of battle this new Battlestar Galactica because it covers uh, uh, President Rosalind and um, like banning abortion in the fleet, um, and. Uh, it's interesting to me because I wasn't aware when I was I started watching this episode because I've always like I always remember the episode where Lee becomes commander, and then I always remember the episode that Rosalind um, bans abortion. I didn't realize that they were both in the same episode. <laughs> yeah. So like in my brain, the Rosalind um, banning abortion was like is like an A story. And I just, I always just thought it was a part of like, I thought it was its own episode. And, and my, my brain also rolled in the, um, the down, I think it's a couple episodes down the road with uh, Maya and the baby and that stuff. I always thought it was all in one episode, but I, I guess not. Um, so we're going to really talk about that because the, the, like the philosophical, like, you know, ethical, all that stuff is like, it's just, it blows my mind. It's a really uh, interesting topic for me. And um, I just, what, I've, like off the top, what are your thoughts about it? 
about the banning of abortion so that uh, we well, can grow our population. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, yeah. it's complicated. Yeah, um, exactly. Honestly, I think there's a reason that it sticks out in our brains because um, even, even 20 years ago, um, this has always been at the forefront politically in in our country <laughs> um since abortion was made ele- made legal in the 70s people have been trying to make it illegal my entire lifetime people have been trying to make it illegal and um to see a situation where literally you can see both sides of why you'd want to make it illegal or why you would want to keep it legal. Like we don't have that kind of nuance in our real world discourse about this subject. Right. So you watch it on TV and you're like, yeah, there's 47,000 people. That's it. That's, that's it. And if you allow people to get abortions, that population is not going to grow very quickly. And what we're trying to do here is save humanity. However, taking away a woman's right to choose what she does with her body and whether or not she wants to have a family is, uh, I feel, not something that anybody should have the right to do. I feel it would have been irresponsible of the show to never address it mm-hmm. i guess and it gives me like a yucky feeling that it ends where it ends in this episode because you know 20 years ago i was just like oh my god can you imagine if they did that like if that happened in real life and here we are <laughs> unfortunately here we are so it's it's just kind of it's it's complicated. It's hard to talk about without sort of rambling and, and talking myself in circles. Yeah, I mean, I I, I the uh, talking yourself in circles is is actually sort of like the point I think of the episode because I don't there there's some media that I think um, like that it'll it it will assert a um, uh, so like a moral a moral stance. Um, at the end, and I think here it's not necessarily asserting a moral stance. It literally is there to kind of just make you kind of go in circles to think about it. You know, um, I don't think that it really comes down on on any side to say this is right or this is wrong. It's just really like this is really messed up, um, and it's kind of an interesting thing to contemplate. But I don't personally don't think that the show is, is telling us that the, it's okay to actually like in real life ban um this and it's kind of you know it's like the circumstances are extreme and that's why they even have to contemplate it in the first place but um real life so far we might be headed that way soon I isn't mean, like that we yeah might be yeah we might be <laughs> we are basically there yeah. No. So it like so it's like exploring like it's like 
it explores then there this part is actually has happened and will happen where like it explores the like the sacrifice of individual freedoms for like the greater good in the context of human survival then we i think we did like we kind of dealt with that um during the pandemic and that's you know people fell on um one side or the other when it came to that um or I, you know, I kind of think, again, this is super extreme and I'm not like, I'm not placing this example that I'm thinking of in the same context, but it's sort of like, you know, uh, like I, I like look at a lot of survival stories and I, you know, it's like that, the alive story, the Andes plane crash. It's like, mm-hmm. obviously we don't eat people, but like if you're in this extreme, extreme situation, and you're confronted with that, like, what do you do? You know, um, the conclusion from that story isn't necessarily like, hey, let's everybody eat people. It's like, uh, you know, I had to do what I had to do so I could stay alive. But that wasn't ideal either, you know. And I kind of feel like that's what I'm, again, speaking for myself. I kind of feel like that's the end point for the show. It is highly fascinating to me and stuff. well I'm not trying to not talk about it because I'm not worried about I don't know people coming at us in comments about me being a feminist or whatever like I am what I am and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend I'm not Um, it's just such a it's such a complicated thing to discuss um, without bringing real world stuff into it, mm-hmm. my perspective on it is going to be different from yours because of our genders. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting in the show that Rosalind is like, no, I have been fighting for a woman's right to choose what she does with her body for my entire career, and then it just takes one sentence from Adama: "You were the one who said if we were going to survive, we have to start making babies." I guess it's not just what he says, it's also what Baltar says, that mm-hmm. at this rate, um, after 18 years, the human race will be done. Mm-hmm. So those those two things are things that factor into her mind. It's and, it's and it's interesting that the show decided to tackle this with a woman president and with her having to make this just unthinkable decision. Honestly... I kind of wish that there hadn't been the religious aspect in this with the, the Gemini's people and their views and this, you know, Geminon representative from the quorum being like, no, that she belongs to her parents and you can't make decisions for it. Like that kind of shit I think is what has made the abortion debate a debate in our world. So I think I would have felt less gross about some of the stuff in this episode. And when I say gross, I mean because it's just a little too real world. If there hadn't been the religious aspect, if it had just been Rosalind coming to a pragmatic decision about this, like, I don't want to do this, but... I have vowed to save our species. And the only way I can is to make sure 
that we can procreate. Do you know uh, what I mean? Like having yeah. having the the religious aspect brought into it too makes it less pragmatic. Even though I don't think that she made the decision because of the the Gemini's faction. I think she actually broke with her religious zealots because of her decision. Be- her yeah. initial decision to let Raya have an abortion. Yeah. Um, I, I just wish okay. that there wasn't a religious part of... I don't mind the religious discussions in this show in general. Except when it comes to telling women what they can do with their bodies. So that's just my personal thing where it makes it complicated for me to talk about it because it's like we've got these zealots coming in here telling girls what they can do. Yeah. I think, I mean, for like, from my perspective, it's, I mean, it's a reflection of like our society. Right. And and there's like, uh, unfortunately, um, religion plays a huge factor in politics and not just in the United States, but around the world. And like, I would argue that it is 80% of almost everything that we end up doing. So it's for me, it's like, uh, even, even when you have uh, certain policies that come down and they don't look like they are influenced by religion, they actually are. When you Sometimes when you like look at the background of some of the people that are in office and making certain decisions, it's like those things are informing how they act in their job or their position. Um, and in this case, I think just like in the context of the show, like part of it is setting up um, this you know story arc of where we're going to get at the very end of the season. So it kind of relates to that. So it's not necessarily like a out of nowhere kind of thing. Also, it incites the entire issue. Um, it's because it's not just like, uh, how to say it, without, it, it adds that element of conflict to it. So it's not that just all of a sudden Baltar walks in and is like, hey, we, uh, you know, we might not... Um, we we might uh we might be extinct in 18 years just on a whim it's more of like um you know someone is fleeing religious persecution and then that starts the whole conversation that they hadn't really talked to before but i also understand i understand what you're saying as well i don't i don't necessarily have that same reaction to it but i definitely understand uh kind of what you're saying yeah i i think i'm not saying it well <laughs> again i'm a little tired um, <laughs> I probably should have thought out my, like, really how I wanted to talk about this better, but it's it's been a really long week, um, and I haven't had as much time to spend preparing for this episode as I normally do. Mm-hmm. I think abortion should be legal. So anything I say is going to be influenced by that. I'm I'm not going to pretend that's not the way I feel. This is these are my opinions. Um I don't think that people should make decisions for other people's bodies and especially let me amend that, especially when what they do with their bodies is not going to hurt somebody else. Um the mask debate that we had during the pandemic was ridiculous because that was literally about saving people's lives 
that's different. And the, you know, keep your hands off my body thing was dead weaponized for, for, you know, by people who didn't want to wear masks and used against people like me that are like, get your hands off my uterus. Um, so yeah, it's just all messy. Like there's no easy way to talk about this. It, it's almost uh, that the danger of, uh, from my perspective, a danger of an episode like this is that the in conclusion um, can be taken by someone with an agenda um, and kind of, like you just said, kind of shift it to their own ends. And um, even though that's not, that wasn't necessarily the point of the episode, someone could be like, yeah, see, like, yeah, that's, this is why abortion should be banned, you know? So there, I mean, that, I see that in various aspects of life. So, um, you know, uh, it's, I would have loved to see in this episode, like, I understand the decision that Rosalind makes, it, it it has merit to it. She is doing it, like I said, she's doing this to save the species. I wish that there was some discussion of any kind of nuance with it. Like, you can apply. You can give reasons why. You know, is it is it a blanket ban or is it, you know, are there exceptions and what are the exceptions? And they didn't have time for that. And the reason they didn't have time for it was because they decided to make this a B plot. Mm-hmm. This should have been the A plot. And both you and I remember this whole discussion as the A plot in the episode it featured in. Yeah. It's literally the... <laughs> the only thing that's remembered about this episode is oh this is the abortion episode and also John Hurt is there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I said I I thought I thought the when you know I see the captain's hand and I'm, I I I totally remember all of the Leah Dama stuff. I just thought it was a completely different episode. I thought it was like kind of stood by itself. And that again in that regard I I do see like how um, this topic gets shortchanged um, because uh, you know, like it's the B plot, and it's actually it actually it's actually way more fascinating because I talk about it all the time. It's like way more fascinating, at least to me, than um, to talk about and contemplate than the Leodama stuff, which I I like the Leodama plot, but it's just not it it's not philosophical or <laughs> contemplating anything. It's just sort of like straightforward, you know. Um, good storytelling, but um, this one just sort of like lets you um, kind of examine humanity from like a safe place where you don't actually have to enact those things in real life, but you just sort of like think about what things mean. Um, Let's take it to a little bit lighter tone. (laughs) (laughs) We'll probably talk about this a little bit more uh, a little bit later in the episode, but I I do want to like, I mean, it's I think it would be a value to people listening to kind of contemplate some of the stuff that we are talking about in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. So but uh, some other things about this episode that I kind of find interesting and I, I like just again, now that I'm watching the show with a critical eye, 
I'm realizing that um, as an old school, for myself, as an old school Battlestar Galactica fan that had watched the new show, um, really the show sort of like up like up to the Pegasus episode episodes was sort of like in the space of just not, I mean, it wasn't replaying the original series uh, per se, but there were a lot of the concepts from the original series were being played out in that first year and a half, right? Um, and then from here, from about like right after the Pegasus episode on, it starts to kind of like take on a new, like evolve or it, it's, it, it sets up things that are situations that um, are that never happened before on Battlestar Galactica. So we had um, the Pegasus surviving because um, that it was destroyed almost immediately in that two-parter in the original. Um, you know, Adama becoming an admiral, that was never like a thing. And then in this episode, we also have Lee becoming a commander. Um, and then also like Starbuck becoming the CAG. So it's like taking a lot of the sort of like the classical iconic relationships and things that um that had come before and it starts to kind of expand on that and then i think moving ahead from here um a lot of the stuff that happens after this episode is it's in a lot of ways uncharted territory except for the uh the the quasi-religious stuff that we get into with uh like starbuck and what she is a little bit later on season four um but I just like it's something that I again I think the show's kind of evolving, kind of like AI. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I understand why Lee was made into the commander, I guess, mm-hmm. um, from a consolidation of characters standpoint. But he's a captain. To a major, to a commander, in the span of a couple days. And I... Yeah, like a month. Not a month. He he somehow, like, is so recently a major that Duala is just now seeing his little wings. And then within a day or so, he becomes the commander of the Pegasus. I understand, like, we're not going to make it Ty. Ty has said again and again he does not want to have a command, and he proved that he cannot be in command. Although I bet he probably could handle it if Adama's the number one guy still. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that Lee deserves it. That's all. <laughs> I mean, I think that... I don't know. I mean, I think that there's an element of that being why it's sort of interesting that he's put in the position. And yeah, it's, you know, some of it again, like I kind of what I stated a little bit ago is just you're, I think you're, we, we are relying on our uh, being informed about our relationship with the character and that we already have, but also just kind of where they stand in a previous iteration. Um, part of it is uh, they, I think they were constantly trying to find things for Lee to do. <laughs> and we, and yes. a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we like, as they 
continue from here. It was like uh, coming from a place of um, thinking that he's like kind of like boring or something. And then they, they just want to keep put, they were trying to find stuff and I, some of it works, some of it doesn't. But, uh, but I think that that's also a reaction from um, the original version of Apollo, who was very much the heroic um, squeaky clean, um, like son of Adama. And so they were always, I think the showrunner was always trying to like push against that. Um, but in like, I guess like in, in like sort of like show reality, I definitely agree with you. Like, um, like sort of like the speed with which he, uh, I, I sort of like interpreted, <laughs> I interpreted, uh, D and, uh, D not knowing he was a major because their relationship isn't as strong <laughs> as, as it should be. But yeah. I watch I watch Love is Blind too much. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> Anyways, let's get into the episode. So oh yeah. Th- yeah. This uh this episode's guest starring John Hurd. Um mo- I think most famously, I think he's known for his role in White Chicks. Correct? Oh yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. He's definitely yeah, so. not home alone. <laughs> yeah, th- absolutely. I don't even know what I don't even know what that is what you're talking about um <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, just another side thing we ramble a little bit but i also noticed too like, i think this is the third or fourth maybe second or third i can't remember episode in a row with like a prominent like guest star and i'm kind of thinking back to like back you know 2005 six seven um not that not that uh like not that the act these actors are like A-listers per se, but they were like more noteworthy. And I and it almost it was like it's interesting to see how how much the show itself was on a rise. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, they were able to start getting like these, you know, like really good actors to come in and play, you know, like a one or two episodes here and there. So I don't know. Yeah, it's nothing it's to like... do with nothing. Like Lucy Lawless, Michelle Forbes, John Hurd, Lu- um, Dana Delaney. Dana Delaney, like the yeah, I can see her face and her name went out of my head. Yeah, um, we've got Bill, at least Bill one Duke. more coming. Yeah, we got Bill Duke, and then next season we had um, uh, Car- I think Carl Lumbly. Uh, next week, next season, Carl Lumbly uh, from um, yeah, from uh, Alias, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh the fall of the House of Usher, which I started watching last night. Oh, I'm not I'm not engaging. Wait, you, <laughs> really? I and that's from that that's from the the maker of a uh, Midnight Mass, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I But can't, let's just say that's from the maker of the Haunting of Hill House, which is yeah, I, so good. I didn't I don't really I don't really dig on him very much. Mm. So well, I haven't watched Midnight Mass because it seems to be religious, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> The Haunting of Hill House was creepy as fuck, and I really enjoyed it. So, and I love Edgar Allan Poe, and there's just so many like Poe references and allusions to his stories and his poetry in this. I'm just, it's, and it's got Raul Cooley. I mean, and Mark Hamill. And Zach Guilford. Oh, and Michael Trucco. Come on. Oh, and Mary McDonald. It's amazing. 
Ah. Got a great Zach Gil- cast. Zach Guilford was in, uh, I think he was. Yeah, Midnight Zach Guilford was in uh, Midnight Mass. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, uh, he's he was become probably part the worst of that. Part. That, hey, he's become part of that repertoire. Don't you talk oh, about Maddie Saracen like that. I will come I mean, to California uh, on Monday and kick your ass. Well, look, Matt Saracen can, like, he's basically, Matt Saracen is basically the quarterback of the 49ers right now. So I'm not uh, upset about <laughs> Matt Saracen. I just really don't like Midnight Mass. And maybe we can do a podcast about that uh, another day. But uh, right maybe now. we could. I've never, I have not, I have not watched it. But yeah. Um, I would say the Fall of the House of Usher, just based on the cast alone, is worth watching. Um, but the first two episodes that I watched were really, really creepy. It's good. It's good Halloween watching, is all I'm saying. Anyway, uh, Michael Truco, he will be here soon. Here. On this oh, podcast. I thought at first I was like, oh, that's on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Why did you want to see Jamie make a fool of herself? Get Michael Trudeau on the podcast. I was like, wait a minute. You didn't tell me about this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. No, I wish, but no. All right. Um, Okay. So we start this episode in... um, there's a raptor training exercise on Pegasus. Uh, one thing I noticed, like the last few episodes, also is, uh, I guess, in my brain, I've always like thought that, that there were multiple shots of both battle stars, but they only ever showed they they haven't. We haven't had a shot of like Pegasus uh, since the Pegasus episodes. I think. Um, I think this is like the first time we see it in in shots. I always kind of pictured them flying together, but I don't think we actually ever see that. Their and budget so, probably wasn't big enough for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, anyways, um, random things I notice that my ADHD makes me go off into a different <laughs> topic. Uh, but there's a raptor training exercise on the Pegasus, um, and there's two raptors. Uh, one of them is occupied by a buster and a sh- and shark that are taking flight. Um, they're looking at their dratus, and it's all messed up because there's EMI radiation from these. Uh, they say that from nearby binary stars. Um, busters, like they, they kind of guides them, um, further out, I think to escape the interference, um, so they could get a clearer signal. Um, and they, and this is the, the opening kind of like jumps back. So we're back in, we're back in, um, Galactica, I'm assuming, and it's in the pilot's quarters and D and well, it starts with a uh, duck and some other pilot. They're banging on the door and inside Lee pops up and he's in his rack with D um, they state that it's been a month since he has gotten shot. So clearly he's, um, you know, all healed now and he's getting ready for duty. Um, he says he's being sent to the Pegasus on temporary assignment. Uh, D refers to, uh, Pegasus as the beast and the Galactica as the bucket, which this never comes up again, but it's kind of prominent, <laughs> <laughs> prominent for this episode. It's actually, I mean, it's really, I think, I think it's really good. But in the commentary, uh, Rob Moore talks about how he liked it, but somebody else didn't. And he kind of subconsciously, I guess, stopped using it. So anyway, um, she like, he, Lee just thinks he'll just be gone for a few weeks. Um, and he also thinks that he's intended to kind of keep Starbuck in line because she's training pilots, but she's been clashing with the new, um, uh, commanding officer, uh, or the the new commander of the uh, Pegasus, who's 
His name is Garner. Um, uh, also, real quick, this was another episode at the beginning when it's the in the previously. I was just going to um, say. Yeah, where they actually he gets promoted <laughs> in those in those uh, those scenes. Previously on Battlestar Galactica, in scenes that you never saw. Yeah, <laughs> there's also there was also another one that um, that they had um, that involved uh, the con- it was a conversation between Gina, yeah, and Baltar um, saying um, that uh, Rosalind like. Telling telling him to portray Rosalind, mm-hmm. um, which yeah, so maybe they were just deleted scenes that they um, ended up just using for those segments. I think it's it's um, economical, you know, um, to put that stuff in there for the previously without having to do full full out scenes. But anyway, D and uh, D and Apollo they've been making out. She kind of, kind of feels him up, <laughs> and she uh, reaches the top of his uniform and realizes that he has these uh, new pins, uh, uniform pins, and they and they're, they're major pins. And uh, she's like, "What's this?" You know, and he's like, "He's been promoted," and he didn't mention it to her. Right? Their relationship, I don't know, man. That seems the kind of thing that you would like tell somebody. Um, you would think. Yeah, he also doesn't really seem particularly enthusiastic about being promoted either uh, which is a little noteworthy um then we are back on where we go down to galactica's hangar bay and (laughs) my a story starts (laughs) where uh callie is directing tyrell to this container that has arrived from another ship um chief starts shining a light in and everyone's like they kind of don't know what they hear i think she heard some sounds or something so they don't know what it is they think it could be silent they don't know he just busts in and opens it up and inside is a young pregnant woman who um she's really kind of confused or disheveled i should say and she asks if this is galactica and she like thinks chief tyrell was doc coddle basically um then real quickly back out to the raptor that we started out with the beginning um shark the eco uh reports back to the pegasus that they're getting an unusual signal and then um hoshi who uh is I guess he's like the comms person on Pegasus. Like he's to receive he receives that report, but it's like it's coming in really uh, staticky. Um, so the Garner enters uh, just as Hoshi inquires if if there's an emergency that has been declared by Shark. We still don't know what's going on, and then suddenly the ship disappears from Dratus. It's very very scary. Um. So we go, um, we get back to, or a little bit later, and Lee is arriving on Pegasus for his assignment, and he's very, he's holding a, like he's holding a briefcase or something. He's very official looking. <laughs> he's walking down the corridor, and Starbuck like pops in, follows him, welcomes him, and he reports to Garner, and um, Lee. Uh, 
uh, uh, Garner like promptly informs Lee that uh, they've lost the two Raptors during a trading mission. <laughs> it surprises Starbuck and <laughs> like Starbuck hasn't been informed about this. And Garner like immediately starts criticizing Starbuck, like suggesting she's neglecting her duties. Uh, implies that if she had been more vigilant, like none of this, they wouldn't have lost these four pilots. And Starbucks not trying to hear any of it, but she's very frustrated, obviously, about this circumstance. So she kind of leaves. She's back. She ends up in the locker room of the Pegasus, and they're like all these pilots are there, like washing up or something. And she immediately tells them to shut the hell up, and she confronts all of them about what just happened. Um, like, why didn't you tell me these pilots are missing? And everybody kind of stonewalls her. Nobody really says anything. Yeah. Um, and one pilot kind of aggressively informs her that they can't discuss uh, matters with outsiders. Um, and Starbuck kind of deduces that this was uh, because of Gardner and that he's responsible for their forced silence. Comments that he's both paranoid and incompetent. <laughs> says that's a hell of a combination. I know that this is like shorthand. Like we have to show that he that he's not doing a very good job. We learn that he was. Um, sorry, there is a bug on my desk. Hold on. Ugh. Sorry. I think you were going to say something about... I'm sorry, Starbuck. I don't remember. I yeah. had a, <laughs> I, I was I had talking a, about a bug it, it situation on my desk. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, um, no, see, I think yeah, because I was uh, I was right at the part where she, you know, Starbuck uh, like was yelling at the um, the pilots, right. and then yeah, and then you, I think you were going to say something about it. <laughs> oh yeah, just like this whole tactic of. I understand that they needed to do this in one episode where we show that he's not good at his job, um, that he's making poor decisions, um, doesn't follow the chain of command well. Uh, and and as an audience, we are prone to be on Starbucks' side just by default. Uh-huh. So I think that the stuff with Starbucks was a little more than was necessary to get this point across. I think it could have been just as effective with what he does with Lee, where he's told by Adama, and we'll get to it, he's told by Adama not to go after these pilots because Cylons are known to tricking. Yeah. Um, and that would have... That would have been plenty without... um all this stuff with Starbuck with him just like being really dismissive of her and almost like trying to set her up as the reason that things like this happened. Mm hmm. Mm, I, so, uh, the, in the commentary, they, he actually talks about, I think the first draft actually didn't have Starbuck and it was just Lee. And I, yeah. And I don't know 
like how like what exactly happened but i think they said it didn't work as well also garner was more of he wasn't he was actually the first the, the original version of the script had garner being more lackadaisical than this so it was like i think they 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 said that there was a little bit of like well the you know um Kane is dead and um, Fisk is dead. So now it was like recess or something, I think he says. Um, and so that was the tag. And they, they kind of thought that that didn't work as well. So then they kind of changed things to make Garner more of like, well, he's a engineer and he's um, he's very specific about certain things. And also he hasn't, um, it's not even so much that he's incompetent, but it's just like he, like he's, he's overcompensating to prove himself, um, which is kind of leads to why he sends the ship, the whole ship, you know, a little bit later. Um, so there's a, it's just a little context for, you know, for what you're bringing up. Um, I think all of that is fine. Um, yeah. It, it, it's the, the added like spice of he's also treats Starbuck like she is a problem. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's doing a bad job that I found to be unnecessary because all the other things, even if they had made him like, oh, I just want everyone to like me, which is what I read that their original intention was that he was just so ineffective because he was afraid of them not liking him that he, he that he wasn't holding them accountable for not doing their jobs or whatever and you know, I, I can relate to something like that when i first became a manager at my work i'd never been a manager before and i also have like a or had i've worked through this in therapy a pathological need for people to like me and or not even the, I don't necessarily need people to like me. I just need them to not actively dislike me. And so I was afraid of upsetting anybody. So I was really ineffective for a while. And then I started to realize at, that that doesn't work. Like you cannot be a leader and not lead. You have to hold people accountable. You have to discipline. You have to have standards and rules um, and what I understand is that was kind of the leader that they were writing for him at first, but that just wasn't really working. And so they went through all these different iterations and, and landed on like he, he comes from a different area of the ship where he was the one in charge down there in the engine room. But things in the engine room are very different from actually leading an entire ship. And what works down there doesn't necessarily work up here, and that being the problem with him. I have, I have no no problems with that. It's literally just on top of all of this, let's also treat Starbuck like she's not good at her job. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, on your first day as manager, did you look up to everybody and say, I have the con. No, I wish I had. <laughs> Very heroic shot. Yeah, I really wish I had. But instead, I probably was just like nervous, uh, like incapable of 
it really it was i i had a lot of like i worked really hard to get this position but it i don't feel like i belong doing it because i didn't know how to do it so it was a little imposter syndrome a little bit at first i think yeah and now i'm like okay i um am awesome at this so what's next Mm -hmm. i am not as lucky as liadama i did not get two promotions in the span of one month yeah listen but my dad's not the one in charge yeah talk about nepo babies that guy um yeah so uh we're lee speaking of uh garner not liking uh kiara thrace um in uh the commander's quarters garner is like discussing his problem with lee and the problem is it the problem isn't about the raptors it's about how he doesn't like he doesn't like kara thrace and um lee for his part like you know defends her and like she's an excellent excellent pilot um but garner just he just seems to be un- unconvinced um and then he you know, he goes he goes into his background like i was an engineer um and kind of emphasizing the difference between like being an engineer and being a pilot in some ways i was i feel a little bit like he's jealous of like the pilots get to have more fun and be a little bit more improvisation improvisational than um than he is um but he seems that he's very much of like um machines are reliable the engine room is finely tuned he says um they keep flashing to like the shots of his watch you know because it kind of comes up a little bit later but it's a very it's it's like you can set your life to it mm-hmm. there's oh, there's order to that um, no freelancing, you know, um, and he, he makes the point. It's like, yeah, cause if, we, if we did what like pilots do, then that would mean that there would be no showers or lights, he says, you know, um, and he says that he believes that the rest of the crew or the pilots or whatever could learn something from, he calls them the snipes, which are, uh, their, their term for, um, engineering folks. Snipes is a weird word for what like it makes me think of snipers. Mm-hmm. So that's what I thought when I first heard yeah, it. Yeah, so I'm yeah. not sure why. Um, if there's like a m- military term that that apparently, comes from, yeah, apparently it is an actual naval term for 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 uh, engineering folks oh. on ships. Okay, uh, according to Ron Moore, who served on a couple ships, uh, I think when he was younger, like an ROTC or something. Okay. That's why I yeah. wanted to cover this show with my best friend years ago because she was in the Navy and she was actually on aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. So I thought she could explain a lot of the military stuff to me while we talked yeah. about it. And that would have been one of my questions is like, what, where does this come from? What, what is this? What is Snipes short for? Because yeah. it's got to be my... sh- shorthand. Yeah, like I, I, I thought the same thing as you. I was like, "Snipes? That's like a sniper." So what? Friend of mine, uh, Jason, he has a, a does a bunch of other podcasts, but he actually uh, served in the army, and he he has a good perspective. He actually offered to like come on. Maybe we can have him on um, our show at some point. But he has a really strong um, understanding of like the military aspect mm-hmm. to the show. Um, so. Um, it's a, it might be a good perspective to roll in. That would have been a good one for this episode for sure. <laughs> uh, 
So then we get back to our should have been a story, um, and we're on <laughs> we're on Colonial One. Oh, Rosalind's and, holding and a picture who do we of her. Meet? And, we're holding. He's, well, she's holding a picture of her and Billy. So this is the last time we see Billy, um, and then we meet one Tori, Tori Foster. I have her in, in all caps. Um, I am completely in love with her. Um, but I also realized that I have bad taste in fictional women, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Tori's, I don't have any problems with Tori. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, just like where she ends up is like kind of what I'm saying. Like both, both her and racetrack end up in not very good, uh, Situations. I guess that depends on how you feel about Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't really. I, mean, I thought Kelly was fine, but anyways, I'm in love with Tori. Bye, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's story but, time. Yeah, it's story time. I just love her. I love. I mean, I love the way she like her assertiveness. You know. And mm-hmm. it's like a it's a good change of pace and and energy for the show, um, but um, she's very easy on my eyes as well. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she's talking about like kind of like the business of of the president. So like she said, it's time for uh, it's like it's time for a campaign meeting. Uh, election elections are approaching. Um, she presents her like she has these poll results. And Rosalind's like, how'd you get these? And she, and we get a little backstory for Tori. And she mentions that she was a precinct captain for the Federalist Party on Delphi. We've been to Delphi before, so we know where that is. Um, she was mm-hmm. uh, there for five years, she said. And so <laughs> she said, they did were they polls conduct- to see what the mayor would have for lunch. Yeah, yeah, which is hilarious. Um, but kind of, you know, gets you like, you know, gets you right into what she's all about. Um, so she is yeah. on top of things. Um, yeah, so, it really um, makes you question what Billy was even doing. He yeah, was in absolutely. way over his head. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I know they. I, I don't can't remember if we talked about it in the last episode, but they did intend for like if he hadn't left. I think you talked about this. I think you said that mm-hmm. they intended for him to continue on to be like you know eventually be placed into a position to be president, and obviously he was gone. Um, so you would have seen a character arc, but yeah, what did he do? What did he do? He went around from ship to ship to try to find some pins for the admiral. Yeah, and I guess like stalking D when he could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think he got that position because he happened to be like the person assigned to escort her on her, you know, I'm here in the president's absence for this decommission ceremony. He was like Kenneth the page, you know, and then everybody was killed (laughs) and he becomes like the president's right hand man. But I don't like, he's not Alexander Hamilton over here. He's, (laughs) Billy was not writing the Federalist papers. You know what I mean? No. He, I don't yeah, know what absolutely. Billy has been doing. Tori yeah. comes in here like a force and she's like, we've got these meetings. We've got a 
a presidential election coming up. I assume you're still planning on running, so we need to get on this. Yeah. Everything that happens, even in this episode, she's like, I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. And Consigliere, like, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Like, later, like, Rosalind and Adama, like, share this moment where he's like, well, she's not Billy. And I feel yeah. like that should be said with a little more of, well, she's not Billy. <laughs> like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> this woman's on it. <laughs> she's, uh, she's got a lot going on already, like... You are behind the eight ball here, ma'am. Yeah, I love her so much. Like when they were, oh, like we, I can't even wait. Like where they're on Caprica, and she's like pointing people to go here. You go here. Yeah, you know, like, I'm just like I'm like, oh, I, so good. I liked Tori from the moment she showed up, and mm-hmm. like I was someone who at the time was like really sad about the Billy thing, and. Mm-hmm predisposed to be like i'm not gonna like whoever replaces him or whatever and then she shows up and i'm like oh shit (laughs) this woman's a boss yeah she's cool i was just saying you know she you know crosses very easy to look at yeah she 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 crosses some lines sure yeah she she, crosses some lines at the very end and i'm just I and just thought I thought finds about how the... things about herself, and she starts yeah. to wonder where her, you know, who she should be loyal to. I also can't really, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. I can't, I can't blame her for that either. Condemn her, maybe. Yeah, like she's spoilers, but she finds out she's a Cylon, and eventually, like, is like, wait, these are my people, and. Why is that wrong? Well, that's not. Uh, it's, we're we're going to get to it, but it's, that, that's yeah. not the part that's wrong. Which was, okay, we'll get to it when we get to it. <laughs> she does some questionable things. You, but I'm, yeah, I'm, she does She, she does some something very questionable. And, um, you know, like, I uh, my whole point was, you know, like, I love, I love racetrack and Tori. And then, you know, and it's like... <laughs> The racetrack's an insurrectionist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I can't. I can't see the red flags. Is all I'm saying. This is probably why I'm so lonely. Um. So, anyways, yeah, she just goes on and on about. Um, she we're and it, it it's kind of interesting because it's it's setting up stuff for the next few episodes, especially like the the two part finale. But um, she talks about um, how she has, um, like, she, Rosalind has broad support, which is really good from both the military and the civilians, um, and particularly, like, the Geminans, who feature in this episode and, and kind of starts some of the tumbling of um, later. And then Rosalind kind of remarks, <laughs> she's like, it's not that hard when your only rival's a convicted terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, Mr. Zarek, who, in the very next scene, we see Zarek giving the speech about his qualifications. Uh, he like he knows he's he's able to lead, um, but he you know he claims that Rosin's power is like too overwhelming, especially now that she's become like the spiritual leader. And we see that he's actually talking to Baltar, and um, he suggests to Baltar that um, Baltar could be the answer to this. Baltar is interesting here because the last time we saw him, like literally the last time we saw him, the last thing he said was to Rosalind, I wasn't interested in 
this role as vice president until just now. Mm-hmm. And then here we are, essentially six weeks later, let's say. And he's mm-hmm. like, mm, I'm not really into being the vice president or politics. I find it really tedious. Yeah. I think what's even a little more interesting is this scene, apparently, this originally was towards the end of the episode, and they moved it here. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that changes anything that you just said. I actually don't think so. It also, I think it actually compromises the scene even more. Um, but he, I think he was, I think originally Zarek was speaking in relation to some of the revelations that happened much later in the episode. So I don't. Well, that doesn't really make sense since by the end of the episode, Rosalind just no longer has the religious backing. Mm-hmm. Like not really. So um, depending on where this scene actually happened, because there is a scene towards the end where where Baltar is like, I'm announcing my candidacy. And he's doing that on the backs of the religious right. Yeah. I actually think he said, if my memory serves correct, I actually think this scene came after that when he declares his candidacy. And this was sort of like, this was Zarek trying, because he says, he does say this at the end of this speech. He like, after Zarek says everything that he says, he um, emphasizes, uh, you know, he cryptically suggests he hopes Baltar will remember his friends, mm-hmm. kind of hinting. So I think that this is kind of like that's what it was geared at. Um, anyways, I think it, I think this scene does to me it does work better in relation to some of the other scenes that um, happen with Baltar, but. Your point is, um, I think, also valid and correct. It doesn't read as well because of, was it last episode or a couple episodes ago? When Baltar said that to Roslyn? Yeah. It was like two, three episodes ago. We haven't seen him yeah. for two whole episodes, so at least three episodes yeah. ago. He seems very certain and when he's doing that, almost like he, yeah. like that. now he would be on a mission and instead we see him and he's in his lab. Kicking it. However, again. it's also typical Baltar to be like, oh, well, Madam President, now you've got a rival, and then forget about it five seconds later because something shiny came across. <laughs> yeah. Also, that. <laughs> yeah. In the pilot's briefing room on Pegasus, the pilots are all gathered around the table. It's covered with paper plans. I don't know what's going on. Um, Apollo enters and everyone seems a little too like relaxed. Um, he starts yelling, reprimanding them. Uh, it's like having a substitute teacher come into class and needs to take control right away. He kind of emphasizes the urgent valid point. He emphasizes the urgency of finding these missing pilots. Um, he says that they have 36 hours before their oxygen runs out. They keep going in is this kind of random. They they kept going like having these shots of this one particular pilot and I had to like stop everything I was doing. The girl pilot. Yeah. And I realized that yeah. I think she pops up again in um in uh Razor, I think. Um but yeah, I thought I was like, is this I, my brain was like, wait, is this there's there a whole subplot where Lee's having an affair with a pilot? Because I just was like, why are they <laughs> <laughs> but it just 
I think she just came on and I, I don't know. I don't know. They felt like they intended to have her be something and she just was in that episode and she popped up later. Um, her name is Showboat. Did all this research. Oh. She, uh... I'm going to look and see if she's in any other episodes or if she's been in something else. The reason, like, why are we focused on her so yeah, much? It was just, no, I, I mean, I looked at it. She wasn't in any other episodes other than, I think, but I do think hmm. she was in, other than Razor. I think she was in Razor. Or if she wasn't in Razor, they mentioned her name a few times. So, so, but I don't know specifically what it what it was. Well, she's a local Vancouver, British Columbia actor. Oh, she was a voice on a cartoon called Deep Space Six Nine. Ugh. Must be one of those porn cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's in Razor. Yeah, just this one, and I don't see anything else that she she did. She had a face that like she looked familiar. Yeah, like I had this whole thing. I don't, like everything else that she did, I'm not really. I don't remember her from my or I didn't watch. Yeah, you know who she like now that we're we're kind of talking because like I had like she had a very familiar face, and I was like, I was like, was she on like Desperate Housewives or something? Like I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't place it. And then I just I just thought of it now. For, she kind of, at least to me, I don't know the name of the actress, and I'm going way back to the 80s. She uh, looks like the mother of uh, Ricky Stratton's mother on on Silver. Oh my on God, Sh- I don't remember yeah, what yeah. Ricky's mom looked. Yeah, like. she was like she wasn't a she was like kind of like a recurring character. She wasn't like on every episode. But yeah, she kind of like that's who she kind of looks like to me. And I and I think mm-hmm. as I was watching this episode, and they kept like shooting to her. She had some like scenes, and I was just like, "Wait, am I forgetting a whole subplot where this pilot does like like is like having an affair with Lee, even though he's with Dina?" Like I just I think remember. it's probably because she's so she's so pretty, yeah, and her eyes are so striking. That's got to be it. Yeah, like she just pops yeah. off the screen, you know. Yeah, yeah. It just made me feel like they intended. Whatever, and she just did something didn't work out. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So we're back. Uh, we're in sick bay. Back to um, back to our A story. <laughs> and uh, Raya is the girl's name that was on was in the um, uh, container earlier. She's just undergone an uh, examination by Doc Cottle. Um, so really, she's been she is four months four months pregnant, um, and. Doc Cottle kind of says it, and she doesn't want to be. Um, she's Jiminese, um, and that society, there's like a, there's kind of like a technicality here. Um, so it wasn't so much that I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it was the, the, the sort of like legal maneuvering of it wasn't so much that abortion is illegal, but for the Jiminese, she's, uh, their law the children are under parental control, so she couldn't make the choice for herself. Um, they're basically are property of their parents until they come of age, whenever that age is. Um, so she, that's kind of why she. Yeah. That's, yes, that's, that's what I got from it. Although like, it sounds like in their religion. Yeah. They, or their, uh, their culture. They have a problem with women terminating their pregnancies, which is what Cottle says. Yeah. 
So I would say because of their culture and the the rules and laws that they have made, maybe not laws, but the rules that they have made within their society on Gemini, it is just not something that you do. And um, yes, the your your property of your children of your parents, and I guess until you get married, um, it doesn't say or you know or until what time, like at what age. Uh-huh. Because because they also don't say how old Raya is. Mm-hmm. I just want to point out because there will be confusion and I'll bring this up again much later, but her name is Raya mm-hmm. and the woman who adopts yeah. baby Hera yeah. is Maya. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not the same person. Yeah, I totally was like, why did they name her that? Like Yeah. But anyways, it's a it's just sort of like you know, uh, the it's sort of like uh, legal maneuvering, and um, Sarah, the Geminon representative, definitely says to the to Geminon, Geminon uh, abortion is abhorrent. She says so. It's like that's yeah. definitely clear that that's sort of the yeah. case. But I think I'm just sort of bringing it up because again, sometimes I think people will say one thing to hide behind what their real intention is. Like in real life, um, in law and politics, they will do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's sort of like how she's like trying to claim that, you know, we need to get this girl back a little bit later. But anyways, um, so Dama asks, um, Adama asks uh, Cottle how it came to, like, how did it come to be that she like, was seeking out Doc Cottle and he Cottle, who we love, explains uh like he's like, that's just how they work. How it works. They come, I ask no questions. <laughs> and then Dama tells mm-hmm. him, Well, yeah, you're going to start, he says. She's pretty like she's very adamant, unwavering, um, that she's not gonna change her mind after Adama starts to talk to her, um, kind of asking questions. She is pleading not to be sent back to her parents. Um, kind of fearing what they might do to her. Um, <laughs> Can I just say something about Adama? Yeah. It seems like he's pretty against abortion. Yeah, absolutely. It's like an, it's an, a sort of subtext or whatever, but he's like, Tyrrell said she asked for you by name. Do you want to tell me what that's really about? To Coddle, and Coddle's like, yeah, I'm a doctor. Mm-hmm. Then when he's talking to Raya, he's like, you're a stowaway aboard a military ship when she's like pleading, like, don't send me back to my parents. Do you know what they would do to me? And Coddle's just like, hmm, some might say she's a victim of political persecution. (laughs) She could apply for asylum. I love it. (laughs) And and like Adama's face, like he's so mad. And Raya is like, yeah, that. I want asylum. Like Coddle... Not just because he's a doctor, but it seems to be his his viewpoint is if this is what a person wants, then that is their decision, and I will I will perform my medical duty to help them. And he doesn't agree with the underlying thing that Adama is saying here, which is it's not my problem. Get back to your own ship. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't agree with what she's, with her decision. Sorry, my phone is buzzing really loud. Sorry about that. Anyway, I'm I'm glad that you kind of picked up on that too, because I thought maybe I was being a little like sensitive. 
no, judgy yeah, on my own. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I definitely like for Adama, like he, de- he never ex- in this episode, he never explicitly comes out and gives his like support for it. But that's my sense is that he's on the same page. But then you know he's he kind of brings up that conversation a little bit later about the population. Um, in this in this scene, I feel like like if I uh, I can't say that I would I would come to the same conclusions as him. But if I was the commander of the ship, like he has like a job and there's order and that kind of stuff. So it's not like he can just be like, oh, yeah, let them keep flowing in just like in the moment. It, it's more of like we still need to have like they weren't doing things by regulations and rules. Right. And so he can't just be loosey goosey about that particular thing. Um, who knows how it would have played out a little bit later as they um, like talked about it a little bit more. But again, I think it's just like a, another instance of showing the complexity of people and kind of depending on where they're, where they fall in the hierarchy and the ranking. Like Coddle, he doesn't have to answer for anything and he always gets away with everything anyway, right? So he can be in that position where he is doing what he knows to be right. Yeah. So now my phone is ringing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. There's a lot going on in this episode in real yeah. life. <laughs> Editing is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um yeah, so I definitely I yeah, we I it, I think that, you know like with the character of Adama, I think he's a person that I think um, like he's very invested in invested might not be the word, but he's, he's very like the, like whatever the colonies, like he, he believes in the principles and ideals and he upholds those. And so his, it seems like his position would be that he would agree with that because most, I think, I think most of the colonies, uh, uh, allow for abortions to be legal. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm unconvinced, especially because in the next scene, which is the scene with Sarah Porter talking about Geminon law and how the scriptures view abortion as an abomination in the eyes of the God, you cannot equivocate on this point if you want our support in the coming election. And then she's sort of dismissed and Adama has his, she's not Billy line about Tori. And then he's like, well, I know that this is a political issue, but that number doesn't go up very often. Like, everything he says in conjunction with this matter in this episode makes it seem like he's not really in support of, like, if it were his choice, how he would vote on it is that he just doesn't think that it should be done. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't read that deep into it i just kind of on the surface it seems like he agrees but there's a in their situation there's a valid i mean it's a valid thing for them to consider i don't um i don't know that that would necessarily mean that he's not in support of it but um i don't i don't know i don't know because they never have him actually say his position but he doesn't seem to be um supportive of 
coddle doing what he's doing necessarily yeah i mean like i like i said i in it, this is just my read it could be yeah. it could be what you're saying of like we can't however coddle's like literally the only doctor in the entire fleet yeah so how else are people supposed to be seen by him he can't be gone all the time sometimes they have to come to him yeah i think the this the episode starts I think the sort of like the importance of it or the process of it is that she smuggled in a container onto this battleship that's in the middle of war. And so it's like, that's something to be. He has that, he has that question of like, how did she get your name? He's the only doctor. Right. Like who else is she going to have help her? Regardless of what her problem is, maybe she has the flu. Maybe like it. It's just I don't know. She's the one who needs help, and it it shouldn't have taken Coddle saying, "Oh, you know, sounds like you're you should apply for political asylum," and like Adama getting mad about that even being mentioned, instead of just the blanket like. You stowed away here. You don't get your abortion. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I don't know. I think that the writers didn't put a lot of thought into that conversation about the fact that Coddle's the only doctor in the fleet, which we've established over and over again because he's constantly going to other ships to help out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder is it is it like he's the, maybe he's the only doctor on that level, or that he's the only one that has like the medical facilities? Like, I don't because it, it would it would. There, they do have medics and other things on um, on the Galactica. Uh, the what's her name? Um, Apollo's life, wife in real life. Like she's a medic, and there was, I think, there was like what episode she was like on the Galactica. Off, I feel like she was off on another ship. Is uh, something that happened in, in those earlier episodes. So I, don't know. I think that the Galactica has medical facilities because it is a military <laughs> ship, right? And all these other ships do not. And so they're maybe able to find some medications and things because of the black market. But there aren't doctors. So maybe while we're talking about, like, we can't let this number go down because we need to, you know, populate. We should also be talking about training some people to become doctors. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that you need a doctor to have a baby because people were having babies long before they were doctors but they do mm-hmm. talk uh, even in that as a episode 33 like there was a baby born on x um ship so yeah i guess where i'm kind of going is um i feel like there might be people with medical knowledge but no one on the level of coddle yeah, yeah. so maybe we need to train some people to you know, be better doctors or actually be doctors so that not so people don't have to stow away onto the Galactica to get medical treatment. Especially because it's not like it's not like Coddle is like the picture of health smoking all the time. <laughs> it's like exactly <laughs> like if he goes down, like we're in trouble. But I know who knows, maybe Lee Lee Adama could step in. Um, because uh, maybe so, because uh, not only is he a pilot, he's a DJ, he's a lawyer, he's president, he's Horatio Hornblower. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you can do everything. Yeah, 
Um, Became a lawyer just by reading some legal books. Yeah, just like I'm ah, just gonna. I mean, he was he was as qualified as as uh, some people on um, social media. I see that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that study uh, topics very quickly <laughs> and become an expert. Um, so yeah, speaking of um, Sarah, the Gemini representative, she's not happy. She wants uh, Raya back. Um, Rosalind reiterates that they will not ban abortions or surrender the girl. Tori being Tori after uh after uh Sarah has left, like she suggests we gotta we gotta get ahead of this right away. I'm I'm making a conference call with the quorum. Um uh, she still takes charge. I love her. And then we had that conversation about uh him saying that she's no Billy. Um I mm-hmm. in my notes I wrote, so say we all, man. Um, <laughs> Adama, you know, he, he leads into the idea about the number on the board, blah, blah, blah. And he, but he reminds her of the line that she said in the miniseries about if, you know, they need to start having babies. Um, then we jump to the, we jump to the pilot's ready room and Starbucks reviewing like logs and she wants to see the last trans- transmission from showboat and our, not um not from showboat from um from the raptor and showboat gives <laughs> gives her the uh the papers and she starts to decipher them and then she kind of realizes that what the garbled message was was actually it could be um that they had they were receiving um a distress call um so she wants to go take this information to apollo and apollo um, he presents this information to Garner and Garner immediately jumps all over Starbuck, um, and starts pressing like the issue, um, about stuff from earlier in the locker room, um, brings that stuff up back to her. So it's like, she said what she said and it got back to him. Um, so he eventually just kicks her out. Um, he's going to boot her off the ship, tells her like to go to her quarters, we don't see her in her quarters in the next shot. The host, she's like in a, a locker room somewhere. Um, and she's doing push-ups like she was doing in the miniseries when Apollo first walks in and sees her in half. Yeah. She says uh, that you know, she, uh, she's complaining about Garner. This is all he's been ever since I got here. She, I think she says uh, Garner, she's had Garner's foot up her arse. Um, Apollo like shouts back, maybe she needs it. Um, and then we finally get to this thing I guess that has been brewing for the last uh, month between the two of them that we haven't seen between this episodes because she did shoot him. It's an accident. Yeah, but it's like even though it was an accident, it's not like I don't think that he was mad mad at her, but I think he's like kind of dealing with it. Like he's mad at her but for different reasons. And he tells her his problem with her is that she like she's, she screws up and he always has to come in and clean it up. Um, and he's sick of it. And then she gets on him poorly. Your life is so hard, which true because like he's Nepo baby and he keeps getting to, I'm not going to say fail upwards, but he keeps getting, no, he, he gets to fail upwards. He he has a very easy path <laughs> to, yeah. to where he, where he ends up wanting to go. He sort of gets things handed to him. Yeah. 
And Quite a bit. I, and I will say, like, he is capable. He is a capable person, but he doesn't have to prove himself to get those yeah. opportunities. And then he calls her out on, like, you know, he sh- she shot him. And then that kind of shuts down the conversation. She kind of retreats and calms down. Uh, but then she, like, kind of asks, like, do you want to know the theory that I have about this, um, these transmission signals? And then um, the there's a rescue raptor mission and uh, pilots receiving um, another a call from Shark, who was in the raptor at the beginning of the episode. And this one keeps breaking up. Um, in this call, there's, uh, Shark is saying that they're out of power and almost out of oxygen. Uh, she's like, you know, um, please, gods, help us. So yeah, this gets back to CIC. And Apollo's telling Garner that the Raptor, like he, the Raptor received a distress call. Garner thinks this is thinks this is good news. Apollo, um, kind of like slows him down. It's like, like Starbuck actually, we have a theory that um, I've got a theory that it's a demon. Um, sorry, that just popped <laughs> in my head. Uh, Starbucks uh, has a theory that uh, Buster, the earlier pilot, received a distress call, and then this is a trap. So um, Garner is like dismisses it and mostly on the basis that this is Starbucks idea (laughs) guy. So blinded by his incompetence. Um, So he wants them to go full on after them, um, even though Paul thinks it's a trap. Yeah. And he's I mean, criticisms of Lee aside, he does have more experience than this guy in things like missions in general and like fighting the Cylons. Garner has been a, you know, high ranking officer in the engine room. He has not been out there fighting the Cylons. He goes where the Pegasus goes. He has no say up to this point in making those decisions. So the fact that not only is he not listening to what Starbucks says because he doesn't like her, he's not listening to Lee, who has more experience in battle, especially with Cylons doing stuff like this. Yeah. So it's just incompetency and all of that again was achievable without the Starbuck aspect. Yeah, he's he's uh he just he doesn't like her. Um Yeah, he just doesn't like her, but he also is making this decision because it the idea didn't come from himself or his guys. So this this all could have been achieved without the I know they wanted to have Starbuck in the episode. They could have had the Starbuck and Lee stuff, which works and is fine. All of that, everything that between them is achievable. Everything that Garner does for the plot is achievable without his dislike of Starbuck. It just feels like really unnecessary to have like one more, one more person who thinks that Starbuck is a screw up. Just defending my girl here. Yeah. I mean, I don't I I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I don't think she needs defending. I I personally am it's like Garner's out of pocket. So I'm not like I don't Yeah. I don't I it's not like I think that she like 
how to say it like she she's screw up is not the word i mean she's starbuck i don't don't know what to say right like it's part of who she is she says some say she says some stuff a little little bit later but she even in that scar episode she's just like she she could have beat scar but she just like you know in the past i would like wing it or whatever and it just will work out so she's like used to that so Mm -hmm. like it's out but it's kind of like what her character is but i also don't think that she needs for the for the audience we don't like it's not like Gardner's complaints are valid basically is what i'm saying we we at least when i say we i'm assuming that we view his um his issues as his issues and he's way out of pocket he's completely wrong like we you know yeah and that's why what i said earlier that it's like they did this as sort of a shorthand they know the audience is going to be on on starbucks side mm-hmm. and and so it's just a quick way to get the audience to dislike him or to not trust him um, but I think that all of that was was possible without it mm-hmm. because it just feels like, you know, kind of lazy. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't quite see that because she because she she did shoot Lee. And that's also a part of that. No, but I'm saying like the Lee thing is fine. Like have him have her be on the ship, have her be on the Pegasus doing training missions and what have you. Have her find out that Gar- that she didn't learn something because Garner just doesn't want anybody who's not original Pegasus to know what's going on. He doesn't want to – He it's like he's got this sort of loyalty or loyalist view of like it's us against them still. Like all that that came down from – what's her face? What was her name? Kane. Kane. So that sort of mentality – that sort of mentality that sort of tr- has has trickled down and permeated the way that they operate, right? Have her there sort of out as an outsider. Have Lee come in and he's mad at her because she shot him. And then he's also – so he's got to deal with that. He's also dealing with this guy who is like an isolationist and isn't listening to anybody else's advice because he's been like – put in this position of leadership he's not equipped to lead all of that stuff is fine everything else in this episode is fine it's it's literally the one thing that irritated me is his like for no reason dislike of starbuck and disregarding anything she has to say because it's her like i feel like that was not necessary we would have disliked him and felt that he wasn't fit for the position and that we should be listening to Lee without all of that too. Yeah. I mean, I, That's all. I totally can see that. Um, I'm a little neutral on it, but I, I definitely could see like if they had a, if they had to cut all the Starbucks stuff and I was never aware of it, I don't know that it would have changed like the texture exactly. of the, of the episode for sure. Yeah, because you could have everything else except the things that he says about her, and the episode works just as well. Mm-hmm. So he he's on the line. He and Lee are on the line with Adama. Um, Adama basically asks Apollo if uh, he agrees with Garner's, um, you know, assessment. Uh, and Lee hesitantly at first, but then he says no. He thinks it's a trap. So then our, uh, Adama orders them to send a rescue mission, he says, in full force. I, didn't, I don't know quite what that means, but um, 
It sends uh, five raptors, three for escort, and two for rescue. Um, and Garner doesn't like that he's been um, over overruled. Um, he dismisses Lee. Um, he's not very happy. We jump to Baltar's lab, and Rosalind is in there. One of the few, like, one of the few instances where she she's playing the scene unsure. Like, she's always so, like, on top of things. But I don't know if it's unsure or if she's just being crafty because she doesn't want to give away too much to uh, to Baltar about what her what she's thinking about doing. Um, but she's asking for the population projections. And then in the background, Six appears, and she's, like, focusing on Rosalind. She notices that Rosalind has said that it's our administration instead of, mm-hmm. like, my administration. And that's sort of like a tell that she's scared of something. And he says that, you know, in his dismissive, I'm smarter than everybody, I'm 20,000 steps ahead of you already, but you didn't care because uh, you were uh, focused on unimportant things. I already ran the calculations, he says, and um, about population. And he says within 18 years, the human race will be extinct if they continue on the same like pace or course that they're on. I would like Baltar to come and do some projections about our current population demographics or demographic projections and like see what how how soon before we're extinct. <laughs> I mean we would we'd probably face some kind of like societal planetary collapse for that to happen and which is mm. highly highly likely but it, our our population right now is fine um I think it's a little overcrowded. Yeah, right. Like, and that's where I think like it would be headed towards the collapse because it was all. It's like almost like there's going to be too many of too many. Yeah, of I, I want to. I would love to know what the projections are. There's, I'm sure <laughs> there's some scientist out there that has done this and is talking to someone about like. Uh, we're overpopulated. Our resources are being destroyed. And here's about how many years we have with with the climate crisis that we're in before <laughs> we're extinct. I just just want to know what I'm working with here. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, it's uh. Get me, get me Greta, Greta Thunberg. Get me her. I'm sure she knows. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, highly highly stressful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like doing this podcast, so I don't have to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry to bring real, real world stuff into it. It just popped in my head. Yeah, like, it's like hmm, like how, you were how far are we from extinction. Yeah, you were talking about what gave you stress at the beginning of the episode, and now like, and this is the part that like I don't like to think about. <laughs> Too real. Sorry. Too real. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, right after that. Um, and I kind of, you know what, like, so you were, I think I'm maybe putting words in your mouth a little bit, but I think you mentioned, or you said a little bit earlier, how you understand that the episode, um, needs to do certain things for brevity to move things along. Um, but it would have been nicer if they had been longer. I think you said that. Um, and here is an instance because, she jumps right from, and I love the scene, but she jumps right from this, the earlier scene in Balter's lab, to immediately over the wire declaring that um, the fleet is banning abortions through an executive order. 
And it's something where I think that because of the topic and because how important it is, there should have been, and I think you said this, again, I might be putting thought words in your mouth, but it should have been something that they showed her wrestling with a little bit more instead of just sort of like very directly making this declaration. Yeah. She says, I've made it my mission to maintain the rights and freedoms we so enjoyed prior to the attack. One of these rights has now come into direct conflict with the survival of the species. I find myself forced to make a very difficult decision. The fact is that if the civilization is to survive, we must must repopulate the fleet. Therefore, I'm issuing an executive order from this day forward. Anyone seeking to interfere with the birth of a child, whether it be the mother or a medical practitioner, shall be subject to criminal penalty. And yeah, like we don't we don't see her we we see like the shorthand of her asking this question of Baltar, having this sort of short conversation with with Adama. She makes this declaration and then later there's just that sort of last stand standoff with Sarah Porter mm-hmm. where she allows Raya to go through with her abortion, but that was the last one. Yeah. And like, we can see that she's sort of like, she's holding her ground on both. You can't play both sides of this necessarily. So yes, it would have been nice to get a little bit more. I would have rather had more of that than the a plot. That is a B plot that this episode has. Yeah. Again, my brain totally is like, this is the, (laughs) it's so, yeah. Um, uh, Rosalind, I, I love how she, uh, how Mary McDonald plays the scene because there, it's like you can definitely see that this is like she's not like this, she's not a robot about it. She's very like sort of like repre- uh, suppressed emotions about it. Um, mm-hmm. it's almost like almost crying, getting choked up. And I, um, in the, uh, in the commentary, Ron Moore did say that, you know, Mary McDonald very much like they they had to have lots of conversations about it um because it wasn't something that she was very comfortable like you know it was like oh i'm just gonna read my lines you know so it wasn't like that um so i think some of that actually maybe informed her performance here yeah yeah um yeah and it's a, and again it's like the kind of thing like if if this had been you know if there were maybe more women um it would have been given different uh, a different focus that it that it got, and I and I personally think it was done very well, but there's a lot mm-hmm. there's a lot more that it, it's just a matter of shifting perspective, you know. Well, in 2023, I would say that this would have for sure been the a plot. It would have had a a lot more scenes like dedicated to it, <laughs> and the thing with the Pegasus would be the B-plot. But if it, um, if this was in 2023, then people would have been like, oh, why are you so woke? <laughs> <laughs> but also because in 2023, we've come a long way in the way that we talk about this stuff. Like, um, I always bring up Grey's Anatomy, but Grey's Anatomy, like, tries to stay, uh, like, 
current with what's going on in our world too yeah and so all of last season had all kinds of stuff about how hard it is for women to get abortions in this country now and how backwards it is and you know like television shows are talking about this like openly mm-hmm. it's not like a very special episode where somebody gets an abortion it, this is like this is major major stuff that's happened in our country and it's talked about differently now than it was 20 years ago so that's what i mean like yes there would be more women in the room writing the episodes first of all but also it it's just a more compelling story than oh once again there's a guy who doesn't know how to be a leader and he's fucking things up over there (laughs) you know (laughs) Oh, look at this mediocre white man who made it all the way to the top with no merits whatsoever because he happened to be in the right place at the right time. There's another story we're telling. That's not we're not doing that as much now because we are woke. Honestly, there is a when she when Rosalind a little bit earlier, um, she says, um, I fought my whole life for a woman's right to choose what she does to her body. Is that, is it, are those the words she uses? Because in the commentary, Ron Moore notes that he wasn't actually in love with the, that line in particular. And I bring that up because of what you're just talking about, like in 2023, I think that he said he would have rather had it that she um, has fought her entire life for a woman's right to choose. And I thought that that was interesting because from his perspective, the whole, the, what she does to her body in 2006 or seven, when this was recorded, wasn't like a part of the phrasing then, but it is now. What she says is I, I fought for a woman's right to control her body my entire career. Yeah. No. Yeah. So he like he that whole part about the body is what I hear people say now. But that wasn't I guess it wasn't something that they said then. And he was like he thought that that was like too like going over a little bit too far. But he wanted to make the str- a stronger point. Um, but again, like it just kind of tied into your like that idea about how we've progressed in terms of our conversations Mm -hmm. um now versus versus then so then we get to the part where um leodama starts to uh rise the rise of leodama the right time right place adama um so the pilots are scrambling for when I when I was saying a mediocre white man who rose to a high position, I actually was not talking about Lee that time. Oh, are you talking about Garner? I was talking about Garner. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so the pilots are scrambling for uh, the condition one, um, and the ship is getting ready to actually jump. Apollo's like, "What's going on?" Uh, he tells Starbuck to get ready to fly. Um, he confronts Garner. Um, it's definitely like it, this is basically Garner is ordering the ship to jump um, against Adama's orders. Lee tries to put him under arrest. And like in a scene that's reminiscent of uh, Crimson Tide, if you've ever seen it, where um, there's the, the back and forth between Gene Hackman and, and Denzel Washington about launching the uh, nukes. Um, it's like almost exactly ripped <laughs> from that. 
Um, except in this instance, uh, Lee loses. He the Marine arrests him um, and removes him from the scene. Um, and that one, Denzel Washington wins. And we don't watch nukes on Russia. It's very good that they listen to Denzel. Wow, spoilers for a movie that's forty years old. Yeah, forty. She's like, the... I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> it's for like ninety-five. Okay. Thirty? No, really? Yeah. Crimson Tide? Yeah, Crimson Tide. Yeah, it's like ninety-five. Yeah. No. Yeah. Wait, which is the one? Hunt for Red October. Yeah, you're thinking that's that... earlier than Crimson Tide. Yeah, yeah. Hunt for Red October is like eighty-eight, eighty-seven, oh, okay, eighty-nine, okay. Yeah, or around there. Okay, then yeah. yes, you're right. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Spoilers for a movie I've never seen. Uh, I mean, you. you know, it's uh, <laughs> it wasn't it was it was in the it was in the beginning of Act Two, I think. So it's not. There's a lot more. There's a lot more to go down. It's a good movie. You should check it out. Uh, I'll, I'll write it on our running list that's on our whiteboard in the office. <laughs> okay. <laughs> of, of movies, we've we've crossed one off of it, and that was The Fugitive. Oh, I've really? I'd never yeah, seen, never seen that. Wow. Yeah, so we watched that one recently. I realized there's a there's quite a few Harrison Ford movies that I've never seen. Huh. Um, I was listening to a a podcast um, on the I think it was the rewatch not rewatchables it was the big picture on the Ringer Network where they were doing this like Harrison Ford Hall of Fame where they all picked like you know in different categories Harrison Ford movies and um, as they were going through them I was like wow I, there's there are a lot of his movies I have not seen. <laughs> so I made, I added a few to my list. Yeah, I was like peak Harrison Ford. It was like, I was, I was so, like, he was like my favorite actor at the time. <laughs> and I just was like, oh, anything he was in, almost, almost anything he was in, I went to go see. So, yeah, their point was like after The Fugitive, he sort of, that was like his, like, apex. Yeah. And from definitely. there, he kind of started going a little downhill. Yeah. Uh, um, he did the Jack Ryan movies too, like um, I don't know yeah, if those are Patriot but, Games and yeah, and uh, Clear, Clear Present, Present Danger. Danger. Yeah, yeah, they weren't very high on those, and they weren't very high on um, Air Force One. Well, oh, I either. love I love Air Force One. Oh my god! Also, I haven't seen that. Get off my plane! It's so good. I love that movie. It's like it's like she like cheesy. <laughs> get like, off my plane! Yeah, get Everyone off my plane! That. Yeah, it's like cheesy <laughs> like nineties like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. So I good. mean, honestly, yeah. I I I truly feel like you can't go wrong with Harrison Ford, though. Yeah. Like no matter what, even if the movie's not good, he's always good because yeah. he's Harrison Ford. Right. So. Yeah. There's like a reason like, why he is yeah. who he is. Definitely. I'll I'll watch anything he's in, whether it's a good movie or not. To be honest, it, it's just there's a lot that passed me by because I didn't always have money to go to the movies. I did not kill my wife. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole, there's a, this is not the Fugitive podcast, but there's a whole thing because I've been hearing a, a lot of people have talked about the Fugitive recently. Yeah. Now that I've seen it, I'm like, oh yeah, I get it. Um, about how like, how handsome he is with the beard and then uh. he shaves it off and you're like, are we not supposed to notice you? <laughs> like, your face is perfect. <laughs> like, you're the most handsome man to ever walk the earth and we're not supposed to recognize you. <laughs> So funny. That's uh, the downside of casting Harrison Ford. Is like, yeah, he's unforgettable. Right, right. <laughs> so funny. Um, yeah. So, 
Sorry, I know I keep going on tangents. I just think that there's not that much to say about this story. Uh, listen, I loved. I actually love tangents. Uh, if anybody's listened to this episode, I will. Uh, <laughs> it's my ADD. I could like we just go off and start talking. About, if if we can find a way to talk about Wonder Woman, I will do that. <laughs> um, and it's not even that I don't like. I'm not interested in the episode, but I have at any given moment, I have maybe two thousand things going on in my brain. Um, so it's very easy for me to, to jump tracks and start talking about something else. I just find it hard to stay on track when like at this point of the plot, like visually, it's just a lot of like, you know, military, military, military. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when my friends were covering Daredevil and they would get to a, a fight scene and they'd just be like, okay, fight, fight, fight. And then they'd move on to like where the plot picks up. You know, it's in, it's like actually, it's hard to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's interesting because, like, for me, I I love this. I love the the military scene. I know, I know, I've noticed in the past you've brought this up. Like when there's a scene, you, you like it's just not that interesting to you. And um, when I was listening to the pot uh, to the the commentary, Ron Moore, like he says the same thing that you said. So it's like he actually like in those scenes he kind of like skips past them or he has somebody else write them that's more passionate about writing the scenes he doesn't find them that interesting <laughs> and um he said he's like i can write them i've written them in the past like he said like he, he used to work first uh write on star star trek you know deep mm-hmm. six nine so he can write that stuff and it can be interesting but it's like for him it's not that interesting and for what you see it's like mirroring exactly what you said um, because uh, visually it is like it looks really good, and so he just kind of lets those people go off and visually do their thing, um, and he has the people write the things from tactics and stuff. But he's just not interested in it at all. Um, I do like that stuff, but only when it really like when it has to do with, um, I mean, kind of like with the plot and how like whether we succeed or not and then what they do in those scenes are interesting to me but i also couldn't kind of get it but i like fast and the furious and so like i i like unapologetically if i see explosions i'm there (laughs) so i just think there's a way to talk about it that is sort of like a high level like overview of it and instead of like scene scene by scene because yeah. it's a lot of like oh, now we're in the CIC and now we're out with the vipers and now we're back in the CIC you know what i mean yeah well, like this... it's visually it's one thing but talking about it is another yeah i in this i mean in this particular episode i mean i'll, I'll get to it there isn't actually a lot of uh, the i mean they have a lot of shots but it's actually really focused inside the CIC and the character stuff. So they they like they go out and they show stuff. So it's like that the raptor goes out to the whatever the ill-advised the Pegasus jumps out. Um, they send the raptor to look at those other raptors that were out, and then while that raptor's out there, a base star shows up and mm-hmm. out of nowhere launches some nukes at Pegasus. Um, then the then the uh, fighters go out, but then most of it's like inside the CIC. So it's like Garner completely out of uh, what is it? Out of the water? What is it? What's the phrase? 
<laughs> um, uh, out of his out depth. of his depth. Yeah, he's completely out of his depth, and he kind of knows it. And while he's on the line, the because the the base star takes out the FTLs, so they're trying to fix it. And he's on the line with them, trying like just turn the thing, you know, whatever. And they just don't get it. So he's like, you know, I'm gonna, I need to be down there. And he says to Lee, "You have the con." And it's a really great shot. I love the shot where Lee looks up and he looks like he does it. He's like, oh, crap. I don't know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> and he says, I have the con. Yeah. So a bunch of stuff's happening out there. But the focus is on Lee starting to like kind of realize that he's in control. He starts making these tactical decisions while Garner is down in engineering to me, it's a, it's a little comical because all it comes down to is uh, him having to turn a wheel um, to make the ship jump, just like on Lost, how they mm-hmm. had to turn the wheel to make yeah. the island jump. And mm-hmm. both of those things are ridiculous to me. But <laughs> <laughs> neither of them. The per- I, I love that they made the island move. <laughs> It's like absolutely with a big wooden wheel taken from the set of Gilligan's Island. Like it's absolutely bonkers. What are you doing? It was frozen. (laughs) Ben had to go down there in like ice suit. What the fuck? Oh my god! And so it it was. It was. It was just as absurd as Garner. It's like they're like, I don't know, I can't, we can't, the ship can't jump, and you're like, you're like, what? We should be able to, we like you. Like, it's in the pot in the uh, commentary. Ron Moore actually actually says he's actually like, you know, like I didn't find it like that. Like I didn't want to go into like the techno babble and like do all this other stuff where it's like, because you've seen the engineer on like the Geordi or or um, what's his name on original Star Trek. Um, uh, whatever his name is, James Garner, uh, whatever his name is, I can't, Scotty, <laughs> um, no, Doohan, a, James Doohan. That was like, a, a roadie travel to yeah, get there. Right? Yeah, totally. Uh, but Scotty, like, he's like, you've seen them do this, like, they have to turn the thing, they have to, we have to boost the power. He's like, I didn't want to do that. So he's like, there's something really simple about it. I'm like, yeah, it's a little too simple because it almost undercuts, like, the importance. So it was like, why could, they, like, nobody could have figured that out? Like, anyway. Um, well, I mean, I'm not going to defend Garner or anything, but he does say that, like, he's asking them on the phone, like, no, you have to do this. You have to pull this. And, like, it sounds like they're just not understanding. Well, he says that. They don't seem to understand. Yeah. I need to go down there. So the fact that what they don't understand is you have to turn a wheel is kind of dumb. It's <laughs> But... <laughs> At least it wasn't a bamboo wheel taken from the set. It wasn't. Of it wasn't Gilligan's a pirate island. It wasn't. It wasn't the steering wheel from the Black Rock. From the ship. stern, yeah. At least it wasn't that. And then he hammers <laughs> it with a little mallet. It's like, come on. <laughs> oh, but anyways, the uh, <clears throat> like one cool thing about this, like a, from a visual perspective, is when uh, like he does it the. The, the the area that he's in, it's like leaking, um, venting oxygen, which is 
kind of part of why. So they seal it shut while he's in there. Um, he does he does his thing, but all that oxygen runs out and he dies. But then when the uh, when the ships are coming back in, they land upside down, and I was it was like I was just kind of cool. Like it just shows you a little bit well, of like um, why the like, there's something about the ship. Our the ship is upside down because the the nukes kept hitting the top mm-hmm. of the Pegasus. Hoshi says something about that, and Lee has him has them turn the ship so that they're protecting the top of it because right. it wasn't going to be able to take another hit. Yeah. So I think that's why the why the other planes come in upside down. So in the whole ship is upside down. In universe that might be the case, but from a production standpoint, Ron Moore said, "I always wanted them to land upside down and I thought it was cool." <laughs> And that's kind of why. But I also gravity, think gravity. What gravity? Yeah, it also kind of shows you like just like differences between like the Pegasus and Galactica a little bit, just like in a real quick visual sort of sense. Um, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, Pegasus is uh, it jumps back, um, and um, Garner's dead. Um, it was all a trap by the Cylons. Um, mm-hmm. right after that, we're in Adama's quarters and Adama's like, he's like kind of going over the mission logs and he, he, refer- he, he says that Lee, like he, he has given a good reporting of, uh, of Garner and he's, he says Starbucks wasn't as favorable. <laughs> um, he asked Lee, what, what does he think Garner's biggest flaw was? And Paulo says, um, that he's used to working with machines, but command is about people. Then Adama's like, well, like, remember that. Um, <laughs> remember that as you take command you of the take beast. Command of yeah, the beast. Of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> um, he basically, like, it's actually kind of funny because Adama, it's like he can't just, it's not just about, like, I think you are a capable commander, but he's also drops a little bit of, like, uh, Garner was my choice and it worked out. That it didn't work out, so uh, you got to do well on this one, so so I don't fail a second time. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. funny. Um, so we have another Commander Adama back on Commander Adama's mm-hmm. back on Battlestar Galactica. We have like the really cool Adama family music going on in the background while he's getting handled hand handed his uh, commander's pins. The pan flute is back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh wow. And so we're back to our A story and um Colonial we're on Colonial One. Um Sarah, the uh Geminon um representative, is angry with Rosalind because she because uh, Rosalind doesn't intend to prosecute Raya uh and Raya. <laughs> um and Raya. Yeah, Raya. And then, you know, Rosalind because she says she says the Geminese girl, as Sarah says, and then Rosalind's like she has a name, you know. She was basically heard that the legal part of it is that she was given asylum before the executive order, so it doesn't apply to her. And then you know, she's dismissed, and Sarah she says uh, she 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 dismisses her, stating Sarah has her pound of flesh, and it's all of the transcripts and stuff that I read reading about this, people were really obsessed with this line because it's, I guess it's from the Merchant of Venice and they were just adamant. Yeah, it's a, Shakes- 
Shakespeare. Yeah, so they're adamant that like it wouldn't have been an expression, and I like I kind of get it, except that they're all speaking English a hundred thousand years. Yeah. Before. Yeah, and Ron Moore said he tried to come up with a way of saying this that was as effective. Yeah. Because he knew like this is something this this is a term that Shakespeare actually came up with. Right. Like I don't know how if people re- realize how many phrases we have that came from William Shakespeare's brain. But there's a lot of them, um, and this is one of them. And, but he couldn't find one that was effective in the same way, so he just was like, "Fuck it, we'll just go with that." Yeah, and it's like this has all happened before. Like, I mean, that's kind of—I mean, to me, that's like the point. Like, they're wearing suits, you know? They're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it was just they're fun. <laughs> they're in they're in spaceships, which okay. So we're watching this. This is before the finale of the series. Uh-huh. We don't know this is a hundred thousand years in the past. That is true. That is true. That is or true. a billion years in the past or whatever. We think it's the future. Yeah, so that is true. I, why I, wouldn't that just be part of the language? Yeah. Yeah, they just were like they were they but they were yeah, it was like it was it's sort of like it was obvious it's even before I knew it was like in the past or whatever. It was obvious that this was sort of like this like like sort of like pseudo alternate reality i didn't quite know where we were or what it was but i just kind of was rolling with it right like i and so just to be they were just like every it was like every everything i read was obsessed with that line and i just was like i don't know man i don't know what to say like they're speaking english they're wearing suits they're whatever they have all of these other things about our culture why why is it like we're gonna hang our like had on that particular thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, was it too anachronistic for you? uh, They're not out here saying dude. So, or like dog, whatever, (laughs) you know, it's, it's not slang. Hey bro. Right. It's not slang. It's, it's a phrase. And I don't know why people had any problem with it. Yeah, if if a uh, Starbucks was like, "Hey, uh no, if uh, no, if Apollo was like, "Hey, Starbucks, uh I want you to be uh the new uh commander of the Battlestar." And Starbucks goes, "No cap." That's um, whack. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> anyway. Uh she's not happy. Sarah's not happy. She storms out. No. Um and this will cause problems later so starbuck and apollo are back in the pilot's quarters i think on galactica and he's packing one one little nice touch that i noticed now that i probably didn't notice way back when was that he's packing one of the things he packs is his boxing gloves and you know it's like part of his character is like a nice little touch but anyways i didn't even notice that yeah i just was like oh i was because i was kind of like why is it why are we even showing him packing stuff but just the fact that they were there was kind of cool Starbuck congratulates Lee. They shake hands, and it's really weird. It's almost intimate. <laughs> this like little thumb holding gesture they do. He says he realizes why he was mad at her, and it's mainly because she is always bucking authority and gets away with it. And he says he recalls that he did that once and almost lost everything. And there was another like someone had a question about that. They were like, I don't know what it was that he did. What's he talking about? And I'm like, the, like it's it was the finale of season one, right? Like, he fucked, he like 
stood up for the president and then he ended up having mm-hmm. to go into exile. Like it, it seemed clear to me, but anyways, people seem to not be clear about that. Um, but anyways, when he got to the Pegasus, he saw that she was doing it again and it pissed him off. She goes, are we okay? And they are okay. Um, they hug. In a deleted scene, um, that hug that they do is interrupted by D walking in. And um, as a Starbucks exit, she's kind of, she's telling, like, I guess, kind of, are you guys going to make out and want to put a boot on the door to kind of show that that's the motif that they use to, you know, kind of like putting a sock on the door in college or something. Mm. Anyways, and D also um, complains about Lee not telling her about his promotion, <laughs> his second promotion. Again? Yeah, again. Yeah. So oh it's like, God. that's kind of where I like, terrible yeah, boyfriend. right. So like, that's kind of when I was talking about the beginning, I was like, maybe they're just for their relationships, like terrible. Like, I, he could have he could have been a major for a month, and he just didn't tell her. Uh, she seemed very... Anastasia Duala just deserves so much better than she, Lee Adama. I mean, she does. She really does. Well, she had him, but let him go. <laughs> Billy, not sure Billy was on her level either. Yeah, I mean, who who would you uh, let's do, let's do, let's ship a little bit? Who would you? Uh, who who else would you have her? Uh, that of, of the available people that we um, have on the show, who Gata. Is your... Gata is uh, Gata does well. He could but Gata could be bisexual, but he I don't think he likes women. But, hmm. Yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah, brings up a whole other thing. Um, Hoshi appears in a lot of the deleted scenes, and I kind of realizing why he ends up being. Uh, Really... The admiral. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah, it's like they had you know, it's like oh they you know he was in a lot of deleted scenes and they just they ended up getting cut, so you don't really notice him as much when you're watching the show. Um, right. it, yeah, and so when he, I can, I, I'm like, oh yeah, like the only reason I really, I the only the, the only time I actually even really noticed noticed him was in uh, the face of the enemy, um, little series that they did we talked about that before that you hadn't seen that was the first time i even yeah. like was like oh hoshi is a thing anyway yeah it's like have you watched the bear no i have not watched it okay well that's great yeah um I, we just watched both seasons like over the last couple of weeks it's really really good I highly recommend but mm-hmm. there's this whole like in the first season um abby elliott plays hit the lead guy's sister mm-hmm. um but she's not in it very much. And so there's sort of this question of like, not that Abby Elliott is like a big star or anything, but she's, you know, she was on SNL for years and she's a name, enough of a name where I recognized her. I was like, is that Abby Elliott? How weird. But she was barely in the first season, uh, um, at least the first like probably five or six episodes. She was only in a t- tiny bit. Mm-hmm. But it turns out they filmed a whole lot of stuff with her because there's a whole lot of family stuff that they ended up cutting out because they like really narrowed the focus into just like mainly the restaurant because they were building to something and it totally makes sense like thematically and but learning that there's all this stuff 
that was taken out and a lot of it was her stuff mm-hmm. was interesting. Yeah. Because, like, if I were her, I'd be like, oh, my shit got cut. Yeah. But, you know, it just... It's not even that it wasn't necessary. It's that it, it, as they were editing the show, they realized that they needed to just narrow their focus a bit. Um, but that's what that reminds me of. It's like there's a whole lot of stuff in the deleted scenes that really informs some character decisions and that we didn't see any of that mm-hmm. until we got Blu-rays. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of like when they cut a whole couple or two out of uh, Love is Blind. <laughs> <laughs> not quite uh, and they have to re-edit there is some there is some stuff uh, the reunion the reunion is uh, Sunday and there there's some there is a lot of off camera drama that I this show is a mess this season is a train wreck <laughs> and I'm like I found out the reason why this one couple was cut out and it wasn't because they didn't pop it's like they followed them the entire time but they had to end up cutting it for for a reason, and it's like, woo, crazy. Well, when we're not recording, I'll have to tell me the reason because I started watching the show, but I'm only like two, like one and a half episodes in. Yeah, I I haven't finished the second episode yet. Okay, um, back in Colonial One, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're in the where pre- uh, preference uh, press preference uh, press conference, and uh, we see our friend Playa. She's back. Um, and she asks Rosalind if her order has her standing in the polls. And then Baltar steps up and he gives a speech. And he says, I don't know if you want to read it or not. <laughs> it is true. In light of recent events, the president may have lost support in some quarters. I would ask the people to understand that if this is an extreme decision, we live in extreme times. The decision has been made with good faith. I, however, cannot, with good conscience, support it. I'm so sorry, Madam President, but the Cylons have no understanding of the meaning of the word freedom. How could they? They're programmed machines. Every time you take away one of our freedoms, every time you restrict or curtail one of our rights, we become one step closer to being like them. As Vice President, I am bound to follow the administration's lead. As president, I should have no no strictures. Given the current situation, I'm afraid that I have no alternative but to announce that I am, as of now, a candidate for the presidency. Rumble the crowd, all the murmurs, everyone's, it's chaos. And in the background, six appears. Giving the slowest clap slow. of all slow claps. Yeah, six slow claps. <laughs> I've never seen a slow clap, I think, in an instance like that before. But uh, I guess she's like an illusion anyways. But And then it cuts. <laughs> uh, one thing I like about that, too, is like Tori gives a look. Rosalind gives a look. And then they're out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the uh, captain's hand. Yeah. So the name Captain's Hand came from a poem. Didn't come from Game of Thrones? Uh, this is before Game of Thrones. Okay. <laughs> I get it. Uh, it's from a poem by Sir Henry John Newbolt, mm. who I've never heard of. Me neither. What's interesting as far as trivia goes is that... Hold on, I have to pull up my trivia... 
we talked about the recap at the beginning that included two scenes that didn't actually appear in previous episodes. The one between Tai and Adama actually is redubbed mm. using existing footage, partially because the character's name when they shot the scene mm-hmm. was not Garner, mm-hmm. but his, I forget what name they said it was, it was but uh, there was somebody who had that name tremel i think they said his name was tremel yeah yeah so they had to change it um sharon warned admiral adama in the previous episode that the cylons might try to lay ambushes near some pulsar stars ahead of their position due to dreda's interference and that's exactly what happens in this episode so she is on our side i'm so confused <laughs> and this episode had the lowest Nielsen ratings figure that an episode of the reimagined series received up to that point, although the episode was well received by critics and fans. Really? This is possibly backlash from what Ron Moore himself feels were the less desirable episodes Black Market and Sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not say uh, that word uh, three times in a row. The recording might disappear. <laughs> Right. I even, when I saved my little recording, did not call it Black Market (laughs) because I was afraid it would once again disappear off of my computer. (laughs) I gave it a different name. (laughs) (laughs) Was Baltar the worst this week? I will say yes. I will say... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's like he's he's just, there's nothing overt about him in this episode yeah. per se, but it's like, you know. He's just such an opportunist. Yeah. Um, Who would you give full colors? I mean, I, you ha- I'd have to give it to Leah Dalma. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, partially, he's half colors. He's a bad boyfriend. He's not a great friend. He's undeserving of the role he got, but he kind of he proved himself a little bit. I don't know who I would give it to. Uh, not Roslyn. Coddle? Hey. I'll give it to Coddle. Okay. Full, full colors for Coddle. Um, who would you throw out the airlock? Um, the uh, Sarah, the Geminon representative. <laughs> right. Get out of here! Oh, no, like, I was so, <laughs> I was so glad. This is a, this is a little bit along racial lines, but I, I was, I get a little uncomfortable how it seems like sometimes when they showed the Geminons, they they tend to be people of color. I think, um, I think D is no, she's from Sagittarius. Oh, she's from Sagittarius. There's mm-hmm. um. But I was glad that Raya was uh, was like white because they weren't visually coding the overly yeah. religious people as black people. Um, having said that, I would eject her from <laughs> from the airlock. Uh, I would say Garner, but he kind of did that to himself. Yeah. 
So yeah, we can go with Sarah. Favorite Cylon this week? Uh, yeah, there I think are really there's no Cylons. This yeah, week. there's just I mean you know head six is head you know, six. But to me, she's not a Cylon, but I think she's the closest thing I guess to that. So yeah. Um, any new reviews? Uh, no, we do not have any new reviews. I cried for days about that. <laughs> Okay, so if you guys would like to review us, and if you review us, we will read it on the air like we did for our most recent one, which was a great review, and we loved it, and thank you very much. Um, go to Apple Podcasts on your uh, computer or your phone and write us a little review. Give us five stars. We'll come up in the rankings. People will find us. You can rate us um, both on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can find us on Twitter at GalacticallyPod. You can find us on Instagram at GalacticActually. You can email us your thoughts, which no one has done. But if you email us, we might read that on the air too. And that would be at GalacticActuallyPodcast.gmail.com. Where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at the Armageddon, First Noel Chronicles, Angela and the Dark on Instagram. Uh, and... Uh... I appear on, <laughs> totally trying to think, uh, TV Obscura's, uh, uh, podcasting after dark presents TV Obscura. Um, and I'm also sort of contemplating starting a new podcast, uh, myself, which is a very, very, uh, brief one. I guess by the time this launches, I probably have decided and you can find it. Um, but for the past decade or so, I like I do these little mini reviews of uh, of uh, movies and TV shows that I call um, you oh, know, your reviews that no one asked. for? Yeah. Um, here's the, the review that no one asked for. And then I give my thoughts and been wanting to actually do it, do them as like a video uh, video blog for a while. And um, the, so I finally did my first video blog um but i'm also going to release it as uh in podcast form too so you can just listen to it and they're only going to be like five to seven minutes so um some very digestible bites um my first episode that i review is a show you might have heard of called ahsoka and um i give my i always give my honest thoughts but i always try to be fair i don't ever like to to dunk on anything so it's not anything mean but you know, I might say a few things that you know, the people might disagree with, but um, but I also um, thoroughly enjoyed the show. So my boyfriend has watched Ahsoka <laughs> over and over and over again <laughs> since it started. Like the last thing I saw him do this with was Daredevil, <laughs> which was like sort of his go-to show. If he was like just felt like watching something, he would. If it wasn't an animated show, he would put on Daredevil. And now, pretty much any time he just chooses to put something on, it's Ahsoka. Oh, interesting. I find I find interesting because she's my favorite character, and this was my most anticipated show, and I, I really loved it. And yet, he like will just... There's eight episodes, and I swear he's probably watched this this whole series like four times wow. already. He just rewatches it constantly. He really loves it, which I just find fascinating. Yeah. And I like, I will always stop and just watch it with him because I also really love it. But <laughs> I don't know why it just he just hit him really. 
really well <laughs> for some reason. I mean, that's, it. that's so, cool. Yeah, I'll I'll check out your review and maybe direct him to it. No, do not. Do not. Much... No, I don't do that. <laughs> I think it's a good site. I think it's a good show, but I there's a there's some things that I I I think are valid that I highlight and like if 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 a person has a like an unquestioned like love of it, I don't want to like the next time you watch it you might see it and then it might make you like it less. So I just won't Maybe maybe don't maybe don't watch it. Well, I'm not that easily influenced. This I know. <laughs> <laughs> did I rewatch episode five five recently? And did I cry again? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes. Give me all the Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Um. All right. Well. You can find me on my previous um, work on the Unspoiled Network, where I talked about Lost and Band of Brothers and The Punisher and Doctor Who and The Vampire Diaries. Uh, but I think I got we had the most listeners probably for Lost, um, or maybe Doctor Who. And next week we will be talking about Downloaded. Which is one of my most anticipated episodes to talk about. Well, do you have any last thoughts? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we Me had a, enough tangents for today. <laughs> keep abortion legal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Keep abortion legal. Um, for anybody listening, I find the topic interesting to contemplate. Like, what would you do? But I absolutely feel like um, a woman's right to choose what she does with her body is um, paramount. I want to yes. reiterate that. I do not. Uh, <laughs> I do. I don't. I was like, you know, um, in the con in the confines of the show, I feel uneasy about her choice. But I can kind of see where she was going. But I also would never want something like that to happen in real life. Yeah. So it. it that's where I stand. I would need people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I try not to like. I try not to. You know, be too like. I try to when I'm expressing my views. I try to make them reachable to a larger audience. But I definitely stand. You know, you know where I am politically. Yeah. So um, yeah. You know, um, I'm like an anti-capitalist leftist to, to, <laughs> to you know. <laughs> I I at one point said to somebody like I mean I'm basically a communist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you know. I don't know enough about communism, but I I know I'm not a capitalist, that's for sure. Yeah. I, I yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so next week downloaded. And until then, what do you hear? Nothing but a wheel turning making the Pegasus and an island disappear in the rain. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <See> <laughs>
You're listening to the Geekscape Network.